Thanks for listening to this Grace Point podcast produced by Cave Media and presented by Grace Point Community Church in Decula, Georgia. For more about our church, please visit our website at yourgracepoint.com. That's point spelled with an E on the end, P-O-I-N-T-E. The website again is yourgracepoint.com. That's yourgracepoint.com. Now, here's Pastor Aaron Zielinski. Thank you. All right, would you guys uh, give Carolyn a hand as she comes up here? Gotta have a seat. We've got um, missionaries with us. Unfortunately, we only have a missionary singular with us. Um, her husband, Josh, wasn't able to make it. And she's going to share a little bit more about why he wasn't able to make it. And um, really, that just continues to, to show what they've been going through in their uh, desire to fulfill the Lord's calling on their life. It's, it's been pretty continuous since they started this journey, uh, and she'll share about that some. But we've known Josh and Carolyn since our time in Colorado. We've been friends with them for several years, uh, going back even when I first started teaching the School of Ministry classes there for credentialing. Uh, her husband, Josh, was one of the first students I had in several classes that year, uh, yeah, it was great. It was great. Love Josh. Wish he was able to be here. Um, but you could, could you just share with some of them? This is their first time getting to meet you. So would you share a little bit about yourselves? Um, it's an honor to be with, here with you guys today. Yeah, so Josh and I um, are from the Western Slope of Colorado. Um, it's a very rural area, you would say, right? Like most people there um, live a slower lifestyle. Um, We've been married for almost nine years, um, and we have been called to ministry since we were both um, in high school. And so when we decided to go into missions, um, it was a shock for my husband because he thought he would be in the States his whole life. But um, I have known since I was a little that one day the Lord would take, a, take me overseas to Latin America, and um, he has just come along for the ride. <laughs> Um, I laughed last night with Aaron and then I said uh, he never knew when he got married that this would be his life but here he is living in another country so and even recently he's had several opportunities they they are a hot commodity they keep getting calls from people wanting them to come uh, and and work at other positions at different churches even some lead pastor positions mm-hmm. and uh, every time it's at these crucial moments where they're just getting ready to make some other decision and she's like look Josh you just got to decide like are we, which way are we going and he said look God just won't release me from the mission field this is where he's called us we have to go mm-hmm. and uh, just to let you know some of the offers they've received have been very very good offers for in terms of uh, I guess material things from a worldly perspective you would think you'd have to be foolish to not jump on that right now but uh, you, God's calling isn't about man's wisdom or foolishness it's about what God has called you to amen yeah it really is we could easily jump ship but I told him last night when we think about Columbia we think if we don't go if we're not willing to go who's going to go because there are many people who are called to do ministry in the United States that would love these job offers, but someone has to be willing to go to the nations. Yeah, certainly. And, and where they're going in Bogota is, is not a very desirable place, right? No. Um, so we are probably the youngest missionaries on the field in, Col- um, in Colombia. There's one girl from Colorado who's coming who's a year younger than me, but no one wants to go to Bogota. Um, it's a city of 10 million people. 
It's crowded. We sit in traffic for hours. It's cold there. You wouldn't think of Columbia as being cold, but it's 40 to 60 year round. Um, and it rains almost like every other day, it feels like. It's kind of like Seattle in that like aspect. And um, the elevation is higher than a mountain in Colorado that we um, know well. It's called Vail Pass. It's over um, 80,000 feet or 8,000, like 800 feet in the air, Bogota is. And so it's hard for people to breathe. I remember our missionary friends from Alabama, we got to Bogota the same time and they said, man, are y'all struggling to like breathe? Are you having elevation issues? And we looked at them and we laughed and we're like, no. We're like, this is home to us. This is what Colorado feels like. So yeah. it's the perfect place for us, even though no one else really wants to go. Yeah, it's great. Um, really is just her sharing that. I didn't know that about Bogota either, but just knowing the, the elevation, the Colorado couple is perfect to go to Bogota. Um, so how did you guys know? I mean, if Josh never felt like missions would be a thing for him, what, at what point did he realize God is doing something different? Because since we've known them, we met them when they went on staff at a church in Colorado, uh, doing youth, doing worship leading, and then they moved, went to a church in Texas, doing children's ministries. Where did that shift come? So we were in Texas as children's pastors, and um, we loved this church we were at. When we got there, we just knew this was where the Lord was going to have us. Um, we bought a house. We settled down. We told the pastor we'd be there no less than five years. We even, um, to tell you how committed we were to the community, um, we were one paper away from being foster parents and having um, foster children come into our home. Like, this was home for us. And we remember we took a vacation to Colorado over the 4th of July. And as soon as we drove into Colorado, the Lord just spoke to us. And he said, I need you to come home. And um, we both felt it separately. And we said, this can't be the Lord. <laughs> we said, we love our home in Texas. We've never owned a home. We own a home. Um, we love our church. We love our ministry. I worked in the school district. I loved my job. We're going to have children in our home soon. We said, Lord, this can't be of you. And so there were a few months we fought it. Um, we told God no. And by that... That never ends well. Yeah, it doesn't end well. Uh, we're like, no, God, this can't be real. We just got here. Um, and so by August, we went to our senior pastor and we said, the Lord is asking us to go home and we can't discern why. We just know he's asked us to move home and to get debt free. And that's all we know. And so as we got home and got debt free, um, our house, the realtor said, should sell in two weeks. It was next to a military base in the most desirable school in the community. It didn't sell um, for six months. And so we're like, well, we have to leave Texas and obey God. So we get to Colorado, and it was the week my husband said, Carolyn, I think the Lord is calling me to be a missionary. And he just kind of like sat back at a restaurant and waited for like me to be excited and I was like, oh, okay. I was like, are you sure that's the Lord? Because you said nine years ago, you're never gonna do that. And so um, he kind of said, but I need God to show me a sign. He said, I need like to throw out a fleece and it be wet the next day. Like, I need to know this from the Lord. So we went and met with a mentor of ours um, on a uh, Thursday afternoon and we said, um, Will you pray with us? We said, our house won't sell. We know the Lord's asking us to be debt free. 
We know he might be calling us into mission, but Josh needs a sign. And secretly the pastor said, um, I'm going to pray for that, but I'd prefer him to keep you here and you be involved in my church. And so um, we sat down that afternoon. He prayed. He said, Lord, if it is mission, sell Josh and Carolyn's house. And if it is not, get them involved in my church. And we just laughed. And um, that very next morning, our realtor called and she said, hey, guys, I showed your house yesterday. Um, it's full asking price and they want to be in in two weeks. Can we do make it happen? And we said, of course we can. It's been six months. And so Josh looked at me and hung up the phone and he said, Carolyn, I guess we're going on the mission field. He's like, what do we do next? And I had a friend working um, for AGWM who was in Latin America recruiting missionaries. And I said, let me... Uh, send Josh and Lisa a message and ask them where they need missionaries at and through that process God narrowed it down to Columbia where we ended up with some Georgia missionaries so yeah if you guys remember uh, Ryan and Caitlin Jordan were here uh, a few months back they they're in the same country they see the Lawrence's or the uh, the Jordans and the Lawrence's Mike and Naomi Lawrence are also in Columbia uh, it, it's kind of like a Georgia thing to have the, uh, the Columbia missionaries are all from Georgia, except for them. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but that's interesting. I, I never heard that story of the call to mission. So when I see Josh again, I'm going to deal with that because I should have known that. So what, you know God called you to the mission field. You found out that Columbia had a need and you went there. So what are you guys doing in Columbia for the kingdom? So um, we started out with missionaries from Georgia, and they were working with the next generation, uh, which is our hearts to see children and youth encounter Christ. And so we learned from them just amazing things about how to teach um, leadership classes, how to pour into next generational leaders, um, and how to go out and do outreach in your community. And so we have pretty much said what we saw happen in Medellin, it's our desire to take that to Bogota. And so we are going to be um, not only working in the community and training leadership, but we are going to be doing it inside of a church plant. And so we have said to the National Church of Columbia and our leadership, if you guys will pair us with a Colombian pastor who is ready to plant a church, we will go alongside them and start their children's and youth ministry. And then within a time frame, depending on um, the dynamic of where the church is located, we will raise up a leader within their church. Um, to be their children's and youth pastor, and we'll help them get through that schooling process. And one of the first groups of, of young people they got to work with is something you wouldn't think about. Um, they, they were partnering with a, a, a couple, missionary couple that was doing deaf ministry, and so the whole church was, you know, deaf people, except the kids. You know, all of these adults, either one or both of the, the adults were deaf, but all of their children were hearing. And so, you know, you, whoever thinks about that, but that was a huge need for them. Yeah. And then there's also something different about the way Colombians would consider youth that I never knew till last night, but I thought it was really interesting. When we think of youth or young people, we think of children, we think of students, you know, up through high school. And then once you graduate, we would no longer consider you a youth. How do they view it? 
Uh, so in Colombia, we laugh all the time because uh, we said we never felt called to college ministry. We said we will do anything but college ministry, Lord. Um, and they view their youth as pretty much up until you can be 30 or 40. As long as you are single and living in your parents' home, you are considered a youth. And so we laugh. We have single female missionaries in Latin America, and they're like, I'm considered a youth. They're like, I'm almost 40 years old. Like, you think I would be considered an adult, but you go to Hovenus, like you go to youth. So the missionaries have got real creative, like in their training. They've started a group for what they call adolescents. And so it's like that middle school age, because all of you know, you can't have a 13-year-old learning with the 30-year-old and expect them to both be able to grow efficiently in the same ministry. And so we've started like trying to segregate it like a little, like being like, okay, here are the younger kids, here are the like high school age and here are the college. But it is definitely the culture of Latin America to, if you're not married, if you live at home, you're going to be in youth. And even one of the missionaries that is a single female, that the church has life groups, you know, like we do, she's only allowed to go to the youth life group because she's a single female of that age. Uh, so just one of those things culturally you have to deal with that you, things you don't even think about that you have to wrestle with. So you guys are getting ready to go back for your first, uh, the first time you were there was as missionary associates. This will be your first term as fully appointed uh, world missionaries. What are you going back to, and what is this uh, other five initiative thing about? So um, we are going back to, I'm going to make a joke first, um, all our stuff. Um, we came home with only one suitcase apiece because of we were on humanitarian flights. So I'm excited to get home to, like, our home and like be like I know that's so materialistic but we are going back to a people group um, who the church in America um, for years has viewed as reached Latin America has a lot of churches when you look at statistics online Colombia people say that they are 90% reached because everyone will say I'm in the Catholic Church I'm saved but what we found out is that mixed in the Catholic Church in Latin America is a ton of synchronistic views and a ton of animistic views. They might be healed, they might come to one of our services and be healed, but they are going to go to the witch doctor to confirm their healing. They're gonna go to someone else to make sure that it's for real. And we've said, these people haven't had an adequate representation of the gospel. They don't really know who Jesus is and what he did for them. They don't know that they don't have to go to someone to see that they're healed, but he is the healing. And so it's said in Latin America that one out of six people actually have that adequate representation of the gospel. And so we're going after the other five. We're going out to target those other five who are not in the church. This year, we have seen the most church growth in Colombia. For years, they have the evangelical church has been under 13%. Um, and this year, it jumped from 13% to 20% in the nation. And we really believe that is because churches went from being just in person to online. And so it has expanded the ministry that's happening in the nation. 
So some positive benefits from COVID. Yes, some super positive benefits. We're able to reach um, the deaf community, for instance. Um, there are a ton of deaf who would never step in the walls of a church, but their friends are sharing service with them that's on YouTube or our kids' service for their children. They're sharing it with people. And so the gospel spreading whether they actually come inside the four walls of the church. That's great. You know, even just thinking about the, the deaf group again, she mentioned that the... It, I've never been into an all-deaf service, but apparently because they, they can't hear, but they can feel vibrations and things, mm -hmm. they still do music and they still you know, would sing or sign along with the music, but the music has to be incredibly loud so that they can hear the, the vibrations of things, so that the drums, the bass is just off the chart so that they can feel it. And so you, you can hear the deaf service from blocks and blocks away <laughs> when that thing is going on. You can. Uh, just some of those things. And then you're in the back, you know, trying to teach the younger people uh, in the middle of that. Um, that's great. So what, What's maybe one of the most memorable experiences uh, or stories you could share to kind of relate, you know, your heart for the people in Columbia? Yeah, so um, when we got to the deaf church, um, there were two twin boys that attended church on a regular basis. Um, and they were always like happy boys. They would come in the door with a smile on their face. They would be in our home, in our friend's home um, on the weekends, hanging out with their kids and stuff. And this one Sunday, I can remember, they came in the door and something was just different. Like joy was just flowing out of them. In fact, um, they did not, they were in our homes. We knew they did not speak English because we would be speaking English at times, like when we were in a hurry, and they would never comment back. Um, and they walk in the door and they say, happy, happy, happy. And I... That and I said, first I was like, when did you learn English? And they're like, oh, we learned this this week at school. And I said, why are you so happy? And they said, today our dad came to church. And so if I, if I get to the backstory, their mom and dad were both deaf. Their mom was the only Christian. Their dad was an alcoholic and um, just not a great guy. Never around, rough on the kids. Um, it was not a great home life for them and their maternal grandmother lived with them. She believed that her daughter could speak. She believed that her daughter could hear. And so she told the boys, you cannot sign to your mother inside the house. She needs to speak to you. Because in Colombia, the deaf community is not received well. There is, people are very prejudiced against the deaf community because they see it as almost like a curse. We had a case this year where someone wanted to abort a baby in Colombia just because they were deaf and the government said no. These people have a right to live. They have a right to be and so, for their dad, who's unsaved and an alcoholic, to come to church on a Sunday morning was a big thing because here are these non-hearing people or non-deaf people teaching their children in Spanish and they're a little um, standoffish from the hearing community. And so that morning the story was about the hope of salvation in kids' church as one of those things that only God could do. This was actually my first week teaching alone in Spanish. Josh and the other missionary were in the jungle um, building a school with the Lawrences. And so I'm like, okay, Jesus, like I don't even know the salvation prayer in Spanish yet. They didn't teach me that in school. So like any good missionary, I get on Google and I look it up. 
<laughs> and I like make sure it's translated perfectly. And so when I get to that end of the message that day, I asked the kids, I said, who in this room needs hope? Like just as a like question. And these little boys shoot their hand up and they're like, we do. And I was like, hang on, like there's more to the lesson, like hang on. And then at the end I said, who would like to accept Jesus as their savior? And they said, we do. We need that hope that you're talking about. And so that day the boys accepted Christ and we truly believe it's because their dad came to church that day. That's what made the difference. They had been to church for weeks. Their mom rode on a bus for two hours alone to get to church every Sunday morning with two twins and an infant to make sure her kids were in church. But the day their dad came, something changed in their family. And so that's what we want to do. We want to plant churches that the whole family has a place where they belong so that the whole family can encounter Christ. That's great. That's incredible. That's huge. And, and that's a word to us too. You know, dads, husbands, it is, it is crucial for us to be the leaders God has created us to be within our families. It, it, you know, and, and our, you know, hats off to the moms that are, that are handling their business when they need to. That's great. Um, but man, you've been created to lead in your home and, and be, be the godly leader there. And when, when we do, it makes a profound impact on the family. Even this dad just coming to church hadn't even surrendered his heart to the Lord yet. Um, but, but it impacted the kids, you know, to see their family coming as a whole. That's huge. Huge. And you guys, are you close to getting back? How, how much longer are you going to be here in the States? Um, we hope we're close to getting back. Uh, we had set the deadline for December, but we just really feel like that's not what the Lord's doing. So we are at 55%. And so we have said we think we will be back on the field by April is what we've pushed the date out to. Just with um, some stuff going on in our immediate family, we just feel like the Lord wants to keep us here a little bit. Um, longer to get stuff settled before we go back overseas. So what, uh, one of, and this is really kind of the biggest thing I want to get to, um, not to lessen it, but you guys hear stories from missionaries. You kind of understand the gist of what goes into missions and a lot of overseas work for the kingdom. But Josh and Carolyn have had a brutal, brutal time just trying to be obedient to the Lord's call. You know, from you heard from the beginning when uh, the time the markets were doing well in Texas, they feel like God's called them, take six months to sell a house after they've already left. Can you just share some of the, the heartache and, and the tough things you guys have had to go through just to be obedient to God? Yeah, so um, last night, I, we haven't seen these guys since they left Colorado, and I'm not real good at newsletters, and so um, sometimes people don't hear updates from us. But when we went to the missions field, um, we got a phone call on a Friday that we were fully funded to go to the field, and they said, buy your plane tickets and be at language school on Wednesday. So we did. We were obedient. We packed our life up, and... Um, that Monday we called to see who to thank because we were $500 a month short. This isn't like it's just a one-time gift. It's like people have to give monthly $500 so we can go. And they're like, oh, no one gave. We're just bringing you to the field. Didn't someone call you? And we're like, no. And so we got on the phone and made some phone calls and they said, we really feel like the Lord is saying you need to come now. And we said, well, what about the money? Like, that's our rent money. And they're like, um, don't worry, God's going to take care of it. 
And every moment, every time we would be to a point where we thought our funds were going to run out, God would send someone to um, pour into our ministry. We never went without. We never had a moment where the funds weren't there. He, even to the fact, I remember one time, he, my husband hadn't talked to this guy in 20 years. He was a pastor's son. We don't even know how he knew we were a missionary. He put a large sum into our account three days after we had gotten notice that we were going to have to pay for another trimester of language school. And we had just told God, we said, if you want us to stay here, we're going to pray and you're going to provide the funds. And he did. And so that was the first hardship. We're like always like in the back of our mind trying to be good stewards. We're like, are we going to make it to the end with these funds? Like Because they're short. starting off $500 a month short. Yeah. I mean, just it imagine, only gets bigger as you go. Yeah. And just imagine, you know, your, your household budget and all of us, you're trying to do it with $500 less every month. And, and they were starting off there. And that's why the Assemblies of God is very particular. They, they don't let people go to language school short on funds. That's, that's pretty unheard of. You've got to be fully funded. Yeah, that's completely, I, we've never heard of anyone else going that far down. Maybe they're like $100 short and they'll send them, but not 500. And so we get to language school and we know it's a miracle that we're here. Like that's one of those moments in my husband's life that he said, even though this is hard, I know that God did a miracle with our house. He did a miracle to get us to school on time. Um, we're going to trust him. And so we get in school, and my husband, I, the picture's not up there. He's Hispanic, y'all. He um, is... His last name is Jimenez. Yeah, our last name is right? Jimenez. Like, he's Hispanic. Everyone thought he could speak Spanish, and he can't. He's the... He's an Oreo, y'all. Like, he's brown on the outside and so white on the inside. Like, um, the language true. is true. Like, he is a cowboy at heart. Like, even though he grew up in Southern California till he was 16, um, he just does not speak Spanish, and it's hard for him. I went in knowing some Spanish. The other students did as well. He did not know a word. The first day we get to class and they put words up and I'm like, get home. I'm like, babe, do you know what any of those words were? And he's like, no. I'm like, that was like house and dog. Like we're like basic level. And so I'm like helping him along. I'm like, it's okay, you're gonna get this. So the second week in school, our language direct school director comes, the same person who brought us early and said, Josh, he's like, the teachers have been talking and we think you need a tutor. And he's like, you know what? I actually think you need two tutors. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, this is just like the time of the year that tutors get handed out. It's gonna be okay. He leaves the room and comes out and says, who else got a tutor this week? Crickets. Nobody got a tutor. And he and, has two. And he has two. <laughs> and so he's just discouraged like in his heart. He was discouraged. He's like, God, like you called me, you brought us, but why is this hard? Why is this difficult? So the week he finally was getting Spanish, like getting it good, um, he goes on stage to introduce our director and it, he flawlessly spoke his thing that he had written on the paper and worked on so hard. And the director came up with tears in his eyes. He said, I love to see the progress of our students because we all know where Josh has came from and where he is now. And he whispered in my husband's ear, he said, God's doing it, you're gonna make it, it's gonna be okay. And so we're on this high, right? You're on this emotional high and we get to our house that afternoon and a phone call comes in from Colorado, which no one calls us internationally. 
We knew something was off. Um, no one even had our international number, um, so we don't know how they got it. But it was a hospital in our hometown calling to tell my husband that um, his dad was in the hospital and he wasn't going to make it through the night. And this had been an ongoing saga. The day we left for language school, he was actually in the hospital and they didn't think he was going to make it, but he pulled through. Um, and so we said, is this like for real or is he going to come back? And he said, no, th this is it. Um, his kidneys are shutting down and we don't think he's going to make it. And so his brother and sister went to like assess the situation and um, they said, you're not going to make it home in time. And so we decided we were going to wait a couple days to go back. Um, but it ended up his family needed us, and so we jumped on a plane on Thanksgiving. We had 45 minutes from the time we booked the ticket to get to the airport and on that plane. Um, it's the fastest I've ever packed in my life. And that includes going through customs, getting yes. a taxi on the way there. Yeah, the taxi ride alone is 45 minutes. Like, I don't know how the Lord did it. Another missionary was in our house doing my dishes because we were making Thanksgiving dinner. He's like closing up our house for me as we're leaving, like yelling out, did you get your passports? Did y'all get a suit? Did you get medication? Like just making sure I remembered everything in that moment to get out the door. And we go home, we do the funeral. We come back to language school for finals. Then we go to renew our visas in the States over Christmas. And my husband isn't feeling well when we go to go back to Columbia. And um, he, was a, he was sick, and I was like, oh, you got the flu. It's real bad this year. This is pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, pre-COVID. I was like, oh, babe, you got the flu. I'm sorry. You're going to have to get on that plane anyways. And we've got training starting on. We're welcoming new students in on Monday or on Wednesday, and on Thursday training starts. So we got to get back. And he, uh, he just wasn't feeling well, but he pushed through training because he really wanted to go on the missions trip at the end of training to the jungle. And so he's like, I'm going to make it even though I'm sick. And one day someone looked at him and they said, Josh, you're a little gray. You don't look well. And he's like, well, you don't look well either. That's not polite. He's like, why would you tell me that? And they're like, no, we think you need to go to the hospital. We've noticed you're like getting sicker and sicker. I had been telling him the whole time, but it took someone else being like, maybe you should go in. And we get there and um, they say he has a parasite. And so they said, we're going to give him this medicine in a few days. He'll feel better. And he took the medicine and we left him at home that weekend while we were all out of town. And he looked better um, on the phone. He sounded better. I was like, oh, great. Like, he'll be back to normal by Monday. And I get home and it wasn't three days later. He starts to crash again. Um, he's gray again. He's lethargic. He's sleeping all the time. By and, gray, like his skin's yeah, gray, his like, lips are gray. Yeah, everything. Like all color, you all can see on the thing, like all color like had left his body. And um, so I take him into the ER and our doctor meets there and they said, we're going to admit you to the hospital. And we spent um, f 14 days in the hospital that time. And it turns out through two weeks of trial and error, he had a parasite, but he had gotten it in America when we came home to renew our visas. And so they were treating a parasite from Costa Rica and it was the wrong medication. So they just shot his immune system with antibiotics. Like seven or eight rounds of antibiotics, yeah. his whole immune system was... It was gone. Um, so we knew once they finally killed the parasite, it was going to be a long road to recovery. 
but we were ready for it. What we didn't know is that for six months we would bounce in and out of the hospital um, to get him back to health. Um, it finally they ended. also operated, there was a, a hernia. hernia that they found, yeah. but they couldn't operate on because of the parasite. Yeah. And, and they were blowing his veins because it was the wrong medication and it was too much and he had bruises all over yeah. him over six months. Yeah, over six months. He was allergic to 40 different foods after the parasite that we didn't know about. And so I actually put him back in the hospital, like feeding him things he was allergic to. Um, I didn't know. And then he had migraines for six months that were uncontrollable. Um, it just was a really tough time physically on his body. Not only is he mourning the death of his dad, but he's... And finishing language school finishing and language getting school. on the mission field. Yeah, he's like sicker than a dog and he's just miserable. And so I told y'all last night, I remember a moment he said, Carolyn, I want to go home. And I said, babe, we can't go to the language school. You're sick, you're staying in the hospital. And he said, no. He said, I've been obedient. I've come to the field. He said, and I'm in misery. He said, I think we can go back home now. He said, I'm not getting the language like... I've tried my best. Like, I've given it my all, and it's just not working. And I told him, yeah, that's... <laughs> I said, I don't think that's an option. I said, the Lord wouldn't bring us here um, to just leave us. He wouldn't bring us here to not work through this. Um, I told y'all last night, I can remember there was this peace about me. Um, I'm not an emotional person. Like, I don't, like, cry often, but... I just through the season like had this confidence that the Lord was going to take care of it. Even though like it, I was ready to life flight him to the United States, I just knew like every step of the way the Lord was saying, it's okay, I'm going to take care of this, you're where you need to be. Um, for six months prior to this though, or four months prior to this, we had been every day as a school abiding in Christ. We were having abiding time, which means every morning before school, we would come into the chapel and spend an hour with the Lord. Um, and we just really focused on that area of our life. And I accredit that peace that I had to that time I had spent with the Lord. He knew how to prepare me for months before. It was even like, I didn't, wasn't to the part in school where you learn medical lingo, like wasn't in it at all. For some reason, one day our teacher, the week before we went to the hospital, came to class and said, I think it's real important today that we teach you these medical terms. And so she, I was prepared when we got to the hospital because they spoke, they spoke English, but the nurses pretty much spoke exclusively Spanish, and that's who I dealt with mostly. And so I would like, be able to communicate with them in Spanish because a teacher was led by the Holy Spirit to go off script and teach us medical knowledge um, before we got to this point. So finances are an issue right off the bat. Uh, language school is a significant issue for Josh. <laughs> And then health issues for Josh, uh, even diabetes, because of the parasite, he's diabetic now, uh, all these different allergies that may or may not be for the rest of his life. And, and his father passes away, and, and that's not the end. There's more family members that passed away. Even he's not with us here because just the other day, his grandfather passed away. And he had to leave short notice to go back, and uh, she's actually flying out. Um, pretty much later this afternoon to go be there in time for the funeral. And, and they're in the midst of this kind of little southern tour. They were down in Florida. They were down in Griffin. And then they're, they're flying back on Friday to get their vehicle and everything. And uh, it's just been one thing after the other. And all of this is really over the course of three years. They went to language school in 2018. 
and throwing COVID in the midst of that too. This has just been a brutal stretch. And, uh, and, and they're still going through it, particularly Josh is really just having a hard time uh, with, with the loss of family members and, and the sickness and all these things. And so I, I really, as I was learning some of these things that I didn't know either, uh, it was just really in my heart from the Lord to, to have her share that stuff with you all. Um, because you, you know what missionaries are like. Generally, they're called by God to go these places and serve the king and his kingdom there. But they've been through it. And, and we see that whenever God calls you, he has purposes, right? He has plans. He wants them in Colombia to do amazing things for his kingdom and to see people come to know Jesus there and grow in their walk with him. But the enemy has been fighting them from day one. And I mean, even to the point of the, the great discouragement that Josh is ready to give up. And it takes God coming through miraculously to bring healing to him. But I just want to share that so you guys could pray for them. I mean, really, you know, take those prayer cards and don't just let it be another thing on the fridge. Pray for them. They, they need your prayers desperately to be able to fulfill God's calling on their life to reach these people. And, and I just pray that, that that would impact their hearts and lives. What other ways, how can we help... Um, how can we help you guys? What are your biggest needs? Our biggest needs? Josh always talks about this. So, um, I think definitely our biggest need right now is financial support, of course, like to get back to the field, which your church is phenomenal at um, getting behind missionaries. So continue. Um, I know it's the heart of your pastors, but I also believe it's the heart of y'all as individuals. So continue to sow into ministries, continue to sow into missionaries' lives. Um, but I would also say if anyone in this room feels called to go to missions, our greatest need is we're going to need a team of people to come alongside church planners in Bogota. Like if you feel called, like you feel like, you know, I think the Lord's like speaking to me that maybe I should go. Um, age is not an issue. We have missionaries who are retired, who are just coming to the field and there are ways for them to serve. We have young individuals. Our youngest person in language school um, was 19 years old. She raised her budget at 18 and then came to the field. She hadn't even like experienced life outside her parents' home, but here she is, this phenomenal single female missionary who's changing the nation of Paraguay. And so if you feel called, man, Latin America needs people. Um, a big portion of our missionaries are nearing retirement age. They're getting ready. They have served faithfully for 30, 40 years, and they're ready to come home and be with their kids and their family. And so we need a new generation to come in and replace them, to continue to help the church grow. And if you, again, everybody's journey into missions overseas, you know, work for the kingdom is different. Uh, their story is, you know, coming out of uh, maybe traditional vocational ministry in the U.S., uh, the 18-year-old girl going right out of high school, anywhere in between. So really, if, if God's moved your heart or anything is, is tugging your heart, you know, come talk to her and just see kind of what their, what their journey was like and, and ways that we can, you know, steer you in that direction to fulfill God's call there. Yeah. But if you guys would, if, if you would stand with me, we need to pray for them. And uh, maybe if the elders and pastors could join me up here on stage. And we just want to pray for Carolyn and, and pray for Josh, uh, that things would go smoothly with this. If you guys want to come on up. Um, you know, Josh is still there getting ready to do a funeral for his grandfather. His grandmother's having a hard time knowing uh, what to do without her husband there now. And um, 
it's just a very challenging season. In the midst of this, they're trying to track Raise, raise funds so they can get back overseas and do what God's called them to do. So we just need to pray. You know, we just really need more than anything. They absolutely need finances and just designated missions and we'll make sure it gets to them. But they need people praying for them. They need people really invested on their knees, calling out to God to, uh, to make a way for them. So if you guys would, if you would just raise your hands and join as we pray for Josh and Carolyn. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have here to hear uh, the heart of the Jimenez family and the work that you've called them to, but the opposition that our enemy has brought against them and the way he's tried to bring uh, damage to their families, damage to their bodies, damage to their finances. Um, God, it's brought great discouragement to their hearts at times, and it's taken your Holy Spirit to strengthen them and renew their resolve and to show your power in their lives. And God, we pray that you would bring a full and complete healing to Josh's body, that you take away the allergies, take away the diabetes, take away every repercussion from this parasite. God, that you would strengthen him in every way. I pray that you would bring encouragement to their hearts, that you would grant them a reprieve from this uh, attack, this continuous thing that has been coming on them for the last three years. Lord Jesus, give them a break. Let them have a break from the attacks of the enemy um, and from just the, the fallen world that we live in. And I pray that they would have a tremendous season of your peace, of your presence, of fruitfulness for the kingdom, and joy that they could just be excited about the things that you're doing in them and through them to change this world for your kingdom. God, we pray that they would get to experience the fullness of your joy and that great peace of knowing that you're in control and that you're using them to do your work. We thank you for hearing us in this because we have confidence that you've heard us and that as you've heard us, you'll let these things be according to your will and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this Grace Point podcast produced by Cave Media and presented by Grace Point Community Church in Decula, Georgia. For more about our church, the website again is yourgracepoint.com. That's yourgracepoint.com. Until next time, God bless you.